This week on the Vergecast, Heim Gartenberg and Chris Welch join the show to talk about Intel's new 11th gen Tiger Lake CPUs, the new NVIDIA GeForce RTX 3080 and 3090, all the gadgets that are coming out of IFA, and then a little bit of Dieter's emotions about folding phones. That's coming up now on the Vergecast. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello and welcome to Vergecast, the flagship podcast of Nintendo of America. They don't know it yet, but we're gonna you just you just conquer the territory you want. That's my feeling. I'm Neil, I'm your friend, Dieter Bone is here. Howdy. Wow. Uh I'm Gartenberg is here. Hello. And Chris Welch is here. Good day once again. We have there's a lot of gadget news in this world, so I wanted Heim and Welch to join us, go through IFA is technically this week. It's a huge European gadget show. And they're actually sort of doing it. There's like real things that you can go sort of attend virtually and even some real world stuff. There you go. So there's, yeah. a, there's a flood of news. This is the in, in September. We've entered sort of the fall hardware season. It's time. Uh, so we're going to get into all that. Uh, there's some cool Nintendo stuff to talk about. And then Dieter, Dieter just, I think every week we're just going to make you think about folding phones until <laughs> the reviews are here. Uh, but as always, I want to start. Um, with the two biggest stories in the world, it is, it's funny, it's 20, 25 weeks. That's a nice wow. round number. 25 weeks since uh, Donald Trump and Dr. Deborah Burks promised us a national testing plan involving a website that would be built, I think, by Sundar Pichai at Google himself. Right. He was, you know, he's like, look, I was the architect of many of Google's cloud services. I worked on a Chrome team. I'm going to make this website for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he forgot his Squarespace login. Ooh. So he, you know, uh, the, the trick was that you just hit escape on the, the homepage and it brings up the... <laughs> Uh, 25 weeks since that happened. I, that is good context for some of the other stuff that is going on with COVID right now, which is the administration is sort of promising a vaccine around the time of the election. I think I've been harping and banging away on this on this website joke for so long just to make it clear that we, we have to hold people accountable for these promises. So that's very obviously like a stunt that is happening, this promise of a vaccine. The CDC has been giving guidance. I think we wrote a piece, Addy wrote a piece. Uh, the headline was just the CDC's testing guidance will make the pandemic worse. The New York Times wrote a piece that was like, do we should just it's time to stop listening to the CDC? All that's bad. All of it comes down to we need a proper test and taste, test and trace program in this country before we can get beyond the pandemic, get beyond, you know, until a, a real vaccine that has been properly tested hits. Nicole had a piece for us this week on vaccines, on how these emergency developed vaccines are going to have to convince a public that is already a little skeptical of vaccines. That's a big deal. That's a big cultural problem to solve. And then on the test and trace side, uh, we've been covering this for a long time now. Um, Apple and Google obviously announced that uh, contact tracing exposure notification, I think is what they're technically calling it, exposure notification system. The APIs for that system were released uh, a while ago, there were some apps across some states that use those APIs. And by some, you mean like a- app or maybe two or like not enough. Uh, yeah, not enough. Um, so then the next step of the Apple Google exposure notification system is going to It's good. It is also very complicated. So they've built the APIs. The phones can do exposure notification. They can trade the Bluetooth keys uh, and they can check those, you know, if you the list of keys on your phone gets checked against a database. If any of those keys in the database are registered as having tested positive, you get 
you know, a notification that says you were notified per some parameters or that you were exposed per some parameters different states can set. That initially required you to have an app on your phone. So the system was working in the background, but to do something like submit a positive test for yourself, you needed an app from public health authority. Apple and Google are now taking the next step. So iOS 13.7 just came out. It now has the interface for that stuff built into the app if your local health authority wants to enable it in some way. The the Google side is just very different, and it's very Android in its way, that your local health authorities can give the phones a set of parameters that will then auto-generate an Android app that works with the framework. Yeah. Very complicated. Wait, why is that complicated? It's just, it's so Android in that they can't really bake it into the UI of the operating system without going through all of the update machinations right. of Android. So it is easier to like dynamically compile an application on the phone that touches. I mean, that's like hilarious, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's fair. Whereas Apple is just like, is pushing it. Uh, you know, I, we've been covering it very closely. I imagine if you've been listening to the show or reading the verge, you, you're aware of it. If you just read these stories and read how it works, I worry that it's so complicated. All of this stuff is so complicated and requires so many, so many different sorts of agencies and public health authorities and hospitals and people to understand how it works to make it effective. I think now that it's here, it's time to kind of hammer on that. So I think that's kind of the next step here. But that's good news overall. Um, the system has been in development. Apple and Google for all of the other noise around those companies and all of their challenges and all their congressional testimonies, they appear to be just making steady incremental progress on this, which I think is great. Can I just say one thing about these things, these situa- situations being complicated, these software solutions being complicated? Needing them to be simple isn't just for simplicity's sake. It isn't just for aesthetic reasons that simple things are nicer um, or even just easier to understand. Uh, it's that in a situation where there are bad faith actors who will use any complicated thing, anything that's difficult to understand as a cudgel against it uh, or as a way to like muddy the waters, complicated things actually become really problematic. If uh, it's, it's harder to muddy the waters with a simple thing than it is with a complicated thing. Yeah, I think that's right. And here, you know, the, the nature of the thing is that I, you don't think of your phone having a relationship with your local government. That is just phones exist outside of that framework. And here they need to have a very deep relationship with your local government because that's the scale of the problem. And that's really how our response has worked. And we're, we're just going to find out how good local governments around the country are, 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 are uh, at working with uh, app vendors and operating system uh, vendors. Anyway, but it's happening. That's generally good news. Um, and then last bits of COVID-19 news. Uh, Robert Pattinson uh, tests positive for COVID-19. The Batman halted production and The Rock uh, announced that he and his heart timely tested positive. If, if, and then he was mad about masks. I only bring this up to remind you that if The Rock and Batman can get COVID-19, it is very likely that you can too, and you should be very careful. That's the COVID stuff. The other side of it is the movement for racial justice in this country, which, you know, I think these are the two stories that we'll take away from 2020. Not so much Tiger Lake, but we're going to talk about Tiger Lake. Um, we obviously talked to Bijan and Maria about our huge capturing the police project on the interview show this week. I encourage you to listen to that. It was, it was a really good conversation. Um, I was, you know, it's very hard when you are interviewing your own reporters about a project you edited. Like <laughs> I'm just making spawn con. And then it actually turned into a really good and meaty conversation. Um, so check that out. Check out Capturing the Police Project. We worked on that for months. Almost everybody on the site touched it in some way. It's just a big deal. And I, I keep coming back to how deeply intertwined everything that we talk about on the show is with this movie. It's cameras. It's social media distribution. It's who gets to moderate. It's who gets to take it down. It's how the platforms operate, what they surface uh, what they make go viral. It's all wrapped up in there. So go check out that project. Check out that conversation with Pajan and Maria. We're very proud of it. Okay. The business aside, the biggest gadget news of the week. I think we have to we have to just say it out loud at the top. It's that Nintendo released Mario Kart Live. Yes. Dieter, do you, you want to? I mean, I, I just assumed you'd freak out over this. So the <laughs> the it's Mario Kart. But what you do is you actually have little remote control carts with cameras on the top. And then they drive around your living, you drive them around your living room and they map out a virtual Mario Kart track in your living room. So I don't know how they do that. 
So there's there's clearly gates, right? So that you, you can set gates and then the track needs to go through the gate, one, two, three, four. But I think you can also map out the thing because they've showed a little thing where there's like a weird curly cue track, right? And they they can do stuff like if you get hit with a shell, you let your cart slows down. So it's possible that if you go off the track, they will slow the cart down. And that's how they enforce staying on the track in between yeah. the gates or whatever. But it seems pretty cool. <laughs> this, this is legitimately the only AR thing I've ever been like, oh, that'll work. People yeah. will like that. Absolutely. Everything else is like, uh, yeah, I'm going to put this couch in my living room. What's so clever about it is... It fits so well into like what's capable and possible with AR right now. So you can see the other carts, and then you can have digital effects on those carts. But they're not trying to map anything wild on you know curved surfaces or whatever. What you see is like what the cart sees, and the the things that are digital are the things that you'd expect to be digital from the game. And then the things that are real, they just like it just needs to be a floor, right? So and the they, cart they, has a little camera on it. The cart has a little camera, but it doesn't need to do like real-time rendering of 3D surfaces while the car cart is in motion. They've got those gates, and so a camera will be able to recognize those gates. It'll be able to recognize other carts, uh, but it, you just if you just have little, you know, the equivalent of QR codes on that stuff, you can do that really fast and on the fly. And so it the, take what's possible in AR and then come up with clever solutions for making it seem like you've done something bigger than you actually have, and yeah. then make it Mario Kart, because who doesn't love Mario Kart? Literally, I don't know anybody. If you haven't watched the video, go look at the post, watch the video on the site. The, so it's a cart, a little Mario cart with a little Mario in it, a little like F1 racer shaped thing. And then right below the wing above Mario's head is a camera. So just the steps here are the camera has to stream video to the switch somehow. That's a thing that probably has to happen. You, you play it on the switch. You, you, you drive around and the cart moves or anything. The game has to know the layout of your living room. It has to stream video to your switch. The switch has to overlay graphics on the video it's streaming in. And then you can play with another person with another cart. So all of that has to talk to each other. All of this seems like not the most challenging problem, but that sense of this, there's just a lot going on in terms of network performance and processing to get to here. Like that just blew me away. Like it's a toy, but the amount of like just tech that has to happen for that toy to work seems mind blowing. I also noticed that the video, I don't know if it, this is like, a, these are like a bunch of camera nerds on the show this week, but the room was very bright. <laughs> the first thing I thought was, I wonder how this is going to go in the dark or at night with like one lamp turned on. Yeah. It's like, huh, there's a lot of sunlight in this room. Also, that couch is perfectly positioned in the center of the room. (laughs) But I can't wait to play. It's like of all the gadgets we saw this week, this one was by far the one that to me is just like totally new. Like I haven't seen anything like this before. There was the what's the 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 company that eventually turned into uh, Anki and you know made the little they they Anki Drive yeah Anki Drive they had that uh, you know and it was at the Apple keynote so this is sort of a logical extension of that but this is this feels way more advanced or just way more clever in how it integrates AR into like the existing system of you know can I admit something to you. I still have no idea what Anki Drive was. Tim Cook came on stage <laughs> at Apple Keynote. He was like, I want to show you something amazing. And it was like a micro machine racing around in a circle. And he's like, this is the next frontier of AI. And I still do not know what he was talking about. And the, com- the company folded, right? It's gone. Yeah. And I think that is the problem. I think, <laughs> I think there's a clear link between not having any idea what's going on in the company. Not, the cars are supposed to like drive around each other. Yeah, they used they used AI to like do some of the twitchy things that, so you wouldn't have to do it, like drive around each other and, you know, stay, you know, within certain parameters and whatever. And, you know, eventually they, they took that idea and they made a robot that you were just supposed to hang out with that didn't do anything. It was very cute. I had I, I got one. Um and it made you feel good that you had a little robot that would chirp at you when you walked in the door. But that turns out is not a real business. Mario <laughs> Kart, however, you could just make money on that uh any anytime you want. You just have Mario make a cute little Mario noise, and and you're done. I mean, it, this is, so all this is coming out in the context of Super Mario Brothers Training 35. They've released new versions of it. There's remastered versions of various Mario games coming to Switch. Yeah. Um, there's a Game and Watch, like a little handheld that plays Super Mario Brothers. I'm definitely gonna I'm gonna buy that. Yeah. People are gonna have a chance that haven't to play Super Mario Sunshine, uh, the the most. Um, 
unfairly hated of the Mario 3D Mario games, and uh, I'm excited. I love Super Mario Sunshine. Everybody that hates Super Mario Sunshine can go away. All right. I'm excited. I'm excited for The Verge to become a Super Mario Sunshine blog. It's going to be great. So that's Nintendo stuff. I just think it's amazing that this little Mario, like, go watch that video and think about all of the t- all of this AR conversation we've had. The iPad has a LiDAR sensor, and we're like, why? And then Nintendo's yeah. like, this little crappy car can run around your house. Like, they beat, they beat them to the punch in a serious way, and it looks amazing. And also, I just love this contrast. Although you've got Sony and Microsoft saying, here come our groundbreaking, powerful new consoles. And here's Nintendo saying, well, here's Mario and some RC cars, and we're going to sell <laughs> boatloads of these things. <laughs> we're just going to throw Mario at people. That's our strategy. Yeah, here's a Super Mario game from 35 years ago re-released. <laughs> Go ahead and buy that one. It's great. Real, real trip there. All right, more gadget news. Actually, a big week of processor news. In the broadest sense, Intel announced Tiger Lake, the 11th generation Tiger Lake. NVIDIA announced the um, GeForce RTX 3080. Qualcomm has some stuff. There's headphone chips. Let's start with Intel. Heim, did they explain to you why they made their new logo in Microsoft Word? <laughs> the, the new logo is the future. And the fact that it looks like it was made in Microsoft Word can only lead me to assume that Intel believes that Microsoft Word is the future of computing. <laughs> It's, it's not wrong. It's, it's not a coincidence that, that they, the only real performance metric they gave for the Tiger Lake chips was that it does office productivity like 20% better than the 10th gen stuff. Cause, no. Because Microsoft Word is the key. I love it. That was really their metric? Uh, that was the metric. Uh, the metric they gave uh, is that it is 20% faster speeds on day-to-day office productivity and a 20% increase in system level power. Were there two metrics? Uh, on the processor side, they are more excited about the graphics than the processor. Right. Yeah. Okay. So walk walk us through 11th gen Tiger Lake. All right. So 11th gen Tiger Lake. This is you know the the classic Intel TikTok mechanism. Last year they jumped to a new architecture. Uh, they were they finally released their 10 nanometer chips, and then, so this is the refinement of that. Uh, they announced actually on their last earnings call that they're not going to hit seven nanometer for at least another you know year plus. Uh, that's delayed. So this is a refined kind of version of last year's stuff, but Intel is hyping this up as as a very big jump forward. And one of the reasons that they're doing that is that they're finally rolling out their new um, Z graphics, which are Intel's really big graphics push for the first time in a very long time. It's going to start rolling out. They're doing dedicated GPUs and external GPUs, which is a thing that they haven't done for a very long time slash ever, depending on what you count like one weird project from a while back. <laughs> but this is, this is you know, the first wave of that. Uh, it's the integrated graphics. This is actually the worst of all their stuff. They have much more powerful stuff on their roadmap. But they're promising, like, big stuff. They're claiming that, you know, it'll run a bunch of, like, AAA games at 1080p on an Ultrabook, uh, which is impressive if it works, which we'll have to see. But yeah, that's that's sort of where they're they're starting from is, you know, they're they're claiming 2x uh, better graphics. And that's sort of the base point. So the TLDR here is uh, the processors themselves are a little bit faster, but the integrated graphics that you'll get with most of these processors is, in theory, way better. It's hard for me to I mean, you said if you believe that that's sort of the, the question for me is like how much better, like better so that, uh, you know, I guess I was just about to say a MacBook Air, but <laughs> uh, better so that an Ultrabook uh, that's really thin and light doesn't sort of feel like it's chugging uh, if I do anything more than open up, you know, an edge tab or whatever. Uh, or is it actually better to run games and do something that I normally would never would have done on an Ultrabook? So Intel is claiming the second. I mean, we haven't tried out these machines yet. They're going to start shipping in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I'm sure our whole reviews team is going to be, you know, putting them through their their paces. But Intel is really saying, you know, video productivity, you know, video editing, actual games. They were showing off, you know, Doom, PUBG. Like, you're not going to be playing, you know, Battlefield, whatever the new Battlefield that they're releasing is at, you know, 4K graphics at, you know, 60 frames per second or 120 frames per second. But for for, you know middle of the road stuff, you'll be able to play it, I think, well is sort of the goal here. The, the gap between, because of all the TikTok sale drama, like, I've just been playing with TikTok, and the gap between, like, the TikTok or the Instagram Reels video editor or Snapchat in terms of what they can do in real time editing a video feed at almost any laptop is so dramatically huge now 
So for Intel to be like, this laptop is better at video editing, I don't think the comparison is to previous laptops. It is. It has to be to phones, right? And I, I, I wonder at just how how much of a whole like an entire generation of kids is going to like grow up expecting their phones to do real time video effects and like AR effects and Snapchat and their laptops are like just they just explode because they, <laughs> they just don't have the horse. But like that's like the next step for graphics and laptops is to just catch up to where phones have been for a couple of years now. Not necessarily in the game front, but in the when you talk about video editing. The other reason I bring that up is obviously Apple's going to bring out ARM laptops very soon. And presumably, they will just bring those capabilities to their laptops. That's sort of the difference that we're seeing, uh, and we'll get to that later, with uh, between the Intel stuff and the Qualcomm stuff. Qualcomm is pushing its ability to you know, offer this real-time AI processing and, and camera stuff, the stuff that its mobile chips are already very good at. We've seen stuff like you know the eye tracking and the AI replacement is the demo that always gets thrown around on the Surface Pro X. It's the kind of tasks that you know we've optimized and we've spent years optimizing our mobile processors for, which are very easy to bring to laptops. And that's, I think, sort of where that breakdown is going to come. I feel like Intel has always been just like chasing the glory of the past in, in many, <laughs> almost every way. So like once upon a time, Centrino laptops were a thing. Then they tried to make Ultrabooks a thing. And now they've got a new thing called Evo. You forgot about Athena, which was not a thing. <laughs> they said it was a thing. Then they said, no, no, it's not a thing. Don't call it a thing. And then we said, why isn't it a thing? And they're like, yeah, just kidding. It's a thing. And <laughs> now they've forgotten about that being a thing. And so now we have Evo. Evo is is the thingification of Project Athena in a way. <laughs> That's the most in the weeds thing that we've said on the Verchast in like six months. It is taking Project Athena and it is putting a name. It's going to be a sticker that you're going to see on your Intel laptops. It yes. It's going to be you know, a, a brand It with the new logo and everything. It is pretty similar to Athena. It's a little stricter. It's, you know... We should just say what it is. It's it's basically a, a certification that your laptop meets certain criteria that Intel has set for performance and battery life and graphics or whatever. So is it you, you have an Evo laptop or it's an Evo certified laptop or... It's an Evo verified design. Evo verified design. It means that uh, you'll get nine hours of, quote, real-world use, according to Intel's tests, on a single charge on a 1080p display, uh, that it'll fast charge for up to four hours of charge in 30 minutes, that it will support Wi-Fi 6, Thunderbolt 4, that will have system wake in less than a second, uh, and that it has an 11th-gen Tiger Lake processor, are the only ones they're certifying with it right now. That battery life claim is actually a big deal. It, it feels like nine hours is a floor... And I think their claim is like, this is a real test, not a fake test. They have, you know, an internal test that they do on it, apparently. That is that is how they're defining it. Uh, it's not manufacturer says this lasts for nine hours. Trust us. Intel is doing some sort of actual verification here. It's sad that nine hours is I'm like, oh, that's pretty good because I just feel like battery battery life on laptops has been dropping for a while. So a question I have is, you know, with your 20 percent better office performance. Are you going to get actually get nine hours out of this thing? Well, so actually, I got to I got to point out, like all that list of requirements sounds great, but they just they just kind of snuck Thunderbolt 4 in there, didn't they? <laughs> I mean, Thunderbolt 4 is default on anything with its 11th gen system is also a requirement and all 11th gen systems have Thunderbolt 4. This just means like you can't get an Intel Evo stamp, I guess, if you had an AMD processor, but I don't think you can get one anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Is, what is meaningfully different from Thunderbolt 3 to Thunderbolt 4? Uh, Thunderbolt 4 is faster, and it supports more screens. Fair. It raises the bar again on power and speed and the amount of displays that you can hook up to a thing. It also might finally mean that we're going to start to see like actual real USB-C hubs that let you add more ports to stuff between Thunderbolt 4 and USB 4. But that is a different rabbit hole uh, that's not directly related to. Every time you come on the show, I feel like I, I assign you the what the fuck USB-C post <laughs> because it's such a mess. But I'll wait. I'll wait for Thunderbolt 4. But then there's actual laptops, right? Yeah. As is, as is tradition, there is a wave of laptops that are already announced. Intel says that there will be 150 different designs uh, in the coming months. Acer, Asus, Dell, Dynabook, HP, Lenovo, LG, MSI, Razer, and Samsung have already promised on board. There's a handful of those already announced today. A lot of them are refreshes. Uh, Acer, Swift 5, and Swift 3, they look like the old ones. They have, you know, the new chips. Zenbooks, old ones, new chips. Toshiba's Dynabook is back. 
sort of. Sort of. And, you know, again, they look pretty similar to the old ones, but they have Tiger Lake. Yeah. The most interesting, though, of, of the new batch is Samsung's, actually, uh, which is the Samsung Gal- Galaxy Book Flex 5G. So significant, it is the first 5G Intel Evo laptop. Intel, I mean, 5G laptops are early on. The only one that's been out so far is a Qualcomm one. Uh, that uses Qualcomm stuff. This is, you know, the first one that is Intel that is not directly related to Qualcomm. It doesn't do a lot of 5G. It does sub six. Um, It doesn't do millimeter wave, but it is at least a start. And it's, you know, a way for Intel to be like, you can get a regular Intel laptop that has a regular Intel processor, but it'll have 5G. I mean, that's good. That's important. Here's my question. Imagine you uh, work inside Samsung and you, you make, uh, you've you made an amazing product. I don't know. You've made the most incredible microwave ever, right? And you take it to your boss and you're like, look at what this microwave can do. And your boss will say, does it have 5G? <laughs> and you'll say, uh, uh, what? And then your boss will smash your microwave and fire you <laughs> on the spot. My version of working at Samsung I think every time there's a new Samsung product, we all imagine what it's like to, it's like you made this laptop and you're like, man, we did it. We get the first Evo verified laptop. That's a thing that's meaningful go with me on this. It's got a 5G modem. I passed that test. What should we call it? (laughs) And then someone is like, you know, it's a great word to put in the name of a laptop flex. And then everyone on, on whatever Samsung clone zoom that they're using. Yeah. Was like, yes. And then they named a laptop after literally the worst thing that the laptop hardware can do, which is flex. I mean, I'm fine with it. I mean, it's a weird flex, but okay. I hate you. The show is from the same people that brought you the Galaxy Buds Live instead of the Galaxy Beans. So true. it's been. That's true. It's been quite a year for Samsung's marketing team. <laughs> do you think they were just like, we can't just call it the Galaxy Book? People need to know it's a different one. There are other Galaxy Books out there. There's the Galaxy Book. There's the Galaxy Book S. There's the Galaxy Book Flex Alpha, which is a different one than this one. There's, there's a lot <laughs> of right. these. We, we need to move Samsung's on. Flex in here. Uh, uh, that's, what I, that's why I wanted to stop it before you got right there. <laughs> All right. So that's the Intel stuff. Uh, obviously, a lot of laptops coming. Uh, as Heim said, our reviews team is going to be all over them. Carrying on with chip news, NVIDIA has the GeForce RTX 3080. Heim, walk us through that really quick. Uh, so GeForce RTX 3080 uh, and also the GeForce RTX 3090. Uh, yeah. These are the next generation NVIDIA GPUs. These are their big flagship cards. These are the you know ones. If you must have the best gaming PC known to mankind... Uh, This is what you're putting in. They are physically just enormous. Uh, They're based on NVIDIA's new Ampere architecture. They're promising twice the performance of the RTX 2080, their old flagship. Uh, It'll be even faster than the RTX 2080 Ti. 10 gigabytes of uh, GDDR-R6 memory. Uh, That's on the, the 3080. It is just a big, beefy graphics card it doesn't necessarily do a lot different the 3080 is just a lot better at it and then the 3090 is really the the big wacky one it costs 1500 dollars more than presumably whatever an xbox series x and a playstation 5 will cost combined 1500 dollars 24 gigabytes of memory uh, and NVIDIA says that this can do 60 fps gaming at 8k resolution which is a first really I'm not sure entirely who that's for or what games it's even worth playing at 8K 60 <laughs> FPS. Like, it is going to take time for the market to catch up, especially given that, you know, we're still waiting for these new consoles to come out and the consoles sort of help drive that bar higher. Because at the end of the day, there are very few gaming companies making AAA games just for PC that, you know, will run on only $1,500 graphics cards. Um, but, like, You know, if you have those big games, you know, when Cyberpunk comes out, it will probably look very, very good on this. How old is this play Microsoft Flight Simulator? That's my question. (laughs) I think it can just barely run Flight Simulator. Flight Simulator, we should do an entire show on Flight Simulator. It is, it's so interesting and so cool and so much is happening. And then it's so inaccessible until the, the next Xbox comes out. Like you have to have a monster PC. So it's like, 
And I just think, I think that whole dynamic is so interesting. What I keep bringing up the 3080 because it's so much cheaper than the 2080. And the demo of Doom that they were running, where it's just like holding over 100 FPS and pretty much staying at 120 at 4K, is like pretty amazing. Yeah. So part of that is is really they've really focused on updating the thermals uh, and the cooling versus you know just raw increases in in memory or power at least on the 3080. That's one of the reasons why this is so big is, you know, bigger yeah. fans, more cooling. So it actually has like two fans and like the amount of heat this thing must be kicking out. It's got to be off the charts. And they even they're, they're switching to the every, every time I read about new graphics cards from NVIDIA, like, oh, and the, now we finally have the 12 pin connector instead of dual eight pin connectors. And they're saying that's to free up space for heat, too. Like how much of this it's like this and Intel are both like. We can go faster if we can let it get hotter. And yeah. with with NVIDIA, they just have the benefit of they don't have to worry about your battery life. So they could just make it bigger and hotter. And it's like everybody else will just bend around them. So they can nobody nobody's mad at NVIDIA in the same way that people are mad at Intel, because NVIDIA, like no one expects them to have to like compromise on other things. They could just they just <laughs> make it bigger and hotter. <laughs> I mean, if you had to carry around an RTX, you know, 3080 glued to your laptop, you would probably start to look a little less kindly at NVIDIA. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. I mean, that is true, though, that they just, because they don't have that constraint, they can push it. The real question is whether any of that can come, right? Like, PC gaming is a big segment. It's growing. There's a lot of interest in it, especially right now. Um, but it's just funny to see, like, that's one world. Then there's like consoles in the middle, which are the consumer world. And then the big consumer world of mobile is just in a different ecosystem entirely. Uh, all right. So that was NVIDIA. Speaking of mobile, there's just a little bit of Qualcomm news and then we, we should take a break. Dieter, you want to walk us through this Qualcomm stuff? Oh, so they've got a budget Snapdragons that will support 5G. Here's where I've landed on 5G. Uh, I don't think you should care about it still now, but I think I think that you should care about it soon. I don't care that it's going to be on the next iPhones, but I think that eventually, like, 5G will matter in the U.S., especially on Sub-6. Um, I'm going to say late next year. Right now, it's, like, barely faster if you can get it. But I think by late next year, we'll start to see more network build-out. Verizon just won a huge, big-ass auction to, like, get a little, you know, more uh, bandwidth for its uh, Sub-6 network. And so... If you're buying a phone, the reason to care about 5G is, in theory, in a year and a half or so, the networks will be there while you start to see some benefit. So if you're going to keep your phone for two to three years, you maybe want to get a 5G phone, maybe. And the flip side of that argument that you're making is, don't buy a phone this year. Yeah, no, I, th I think that that's not a terrible thing to, to not do. This, like, yeah, it'd be fine to not buy a phone this year. Did you see... Um I think Joanna did her like drive around in an RV video testing 5G around the country. Like your perspective is um, Joanna Stern at the Wall Street Journal, but like that perspective of it's not ready yet is such a U.S. centric perspective. Because if you look at the charts of U.S. 5G speeds compared to everywhere else in the world, my dudes, we have lost the race. I'm, yeah, I'm here to report. That's fair. Part of it is the the chips aren't there yet. Like Qualcomm still doesn't integrate a 5G modem into its you know core Snapdragon chip. If you buy a Galaxy S20 today, it has a separate modem chip in it still. That's you know sapping power. We're not even at the point where the best processor has built-in 5G. They yeah. have the the step-down one does, but like. The, the biggest, best processor that you're putting in your flagship phones, which are the big expensive phones that people want to buy, don't even have the best form of, you know, just hardware on a very basic level that they can yet. Yeah, but I, I, I think that is worrying about a problem that seems solvable because you can, you as a person might be able to buy one phone or another. Worrying about the network is just waiting on Verizon and AT&T and T-Mobile to like finish the job. The Spectrum fights are real. Uh, Verizon and AT&T have been complaining that T-Mobile has like too much Spectrum now, which is very like choice, considering that merger just went down. Um, so I, I think like the infrastructure, the, wanting the cost, the extra processor, the heat, all that stuff, is in weight of the infrastructure to get built out, and that's still. I mean, we've been saying that forever. All right, we got to take a break. We got to come back and talk about some gadgets, Eva. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. 
Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, it's IFA. What does IFA stand for? Oh, it's a German word, and you're going to look at me because I got the German name to, to do it, and I super can't. All right, well, IFA's happening I, focusing on the, on the actual trade show aspect of the trade show is whatever. Lots of gadget news. Let's start. At, we we were talking about Qualcomm. Let's start with Qualcomm. Chris Welch, they're gonna they're gonna come after Apple with some headphone chips. Yeah. Uh, so it turns out there are quite a few companies uh, that use Qualcomm's chips uh, for their true wireless earbuds. You rattle off some of these. Uh, there's Jabra, Skullcandy, Sennheiser. B&O. So there are quite a few brands that kind of uh, depend on them. So we've seen a lot of earbuds that have noise cancellation, but usually it's like an on or off thing. So what Qualcomm is trying to do is kind of copy what Apple's doing with the AirPods Pro. If you ever look at the AirPods Pro website, it says that they adjust the noise cancellation 200 times per second. I don't know how, how any human being could ever confirm that that's what happens, but that's what Apple says. <laughs> and so now Qualcomm says they're going to do something similar. So like if you're fit or seal isn't perfect, I always talk about how important the seal is for good bass and uh, good noise cancellation. So if that's not quite perfect, this new chip is going to help you out and just kind of adjust things on the fly uh, so it'll sound better and be more effective. And so we'll see how well it works. But, but like I said, there are a lot of companies. I think Sony and Samsung, of course, use their own chips for this kind of stuff. So they're not going to be involved here. But this could help out many, many brands over the next year or so. It's interesting to think that we now need to pay attention to headphone chips in the same way that wait, the capability of the standard headphone chip will determine the capabilities of many, many, many products. Right. Does Qualcomm have competitors besides sort of the custom Sony, Samsung, like... Sony, Samsung, Apple? Yeah, I'm not really sure who else would who else would be in there, but uh, but yeah. I mean, you, you just know how I feel about competition. Like, is there like a, <laughs> is there like a Broadcom in the mix, like pushing Qualcomm along? I guess not. Uh, then there's actually new uh, Bang & Olufsen headphones. Yes, these are $800 noise-canceling headphones. If you buy $800 headphones, I think you're in a different tax bracket than I am, ever so slightly. But I <laughs> they think look really with, good. I, th I think I'll stick with the Sony 1000XM4s. <laughs> but uh, they did steal at least one very good idea uh, from Microsoft Surface headphones. They have those dials on the left and right cups that you can just turn uh, to adjust the volume and NC levels. And so they stole that idea. They said that they were inspired by... Uh, the aperture ring on cameras. And I said in my post, you know, just give the company credit for a good idea for once <laughs> and say, Microsoft did this really well. And, you know, we just want to take that and build upon it. But no, they said it came from aperture rings. Okay. Uh, but these look really nice. I'm sure they sound amazing. I did not like how the Surface headphones sounded at all. Really? Yeah. I love the knob. I thought that was so much fun. It was like, I've never adjusted the volume on my headphones so much, uh, but I did not like the way they, I, they were just really muddy to me. The Surface headphones too sound a bit better, so it might be worth checking out. Uh, and then there was, uh, there was a patent for the Sonos headphones that we've been hearing about for a long, long time. And so I'm kind of excited for these. I think we know what the big trick is going to be. Like you're going to have them on, you're going to walk into your house and then your music is going to just move to your Sonos speakers. And that'll be the big Wahoo fancy trick, I think, of the Sonos headphones. But we have an idea of what they look like. Uh, we don't know how much they'll, they'll cost, but... Isn't uh, it supposed to maybe it's also supposed to support both Alexa and Google uh, at the same time? Maybe not at the same time. I don't know. That's there's a, they're in a little bit of a lawsuit over that. They're in a little bit of a <laughs> thing there. A little tiny yeah. antitrust lawsuit situation going on there. I wonder if they've delayed it because marketing a product about you can leave your house and come back seamlessly is like a little 
<laughs> not, yeah. not quite the moment. Yeah. yeah. Do you think they're going to be targetable in the way any other Sonos speaker is targetable from, you know, the Sonos app or from Spotify? Like, are they going to be like full on Wi-Fi headphones? Because to me, like, there's no point if, it, if it's literally just Bluetooth headphones with the Sonos badge and it like it can like somehow communicate to a speaker over Bluetooth or something to like pass it off. Like, that's not enough. I, I actually want to be able to like hit the source button that looks at sees all the Sonos targets and choose the headphones. Why? Yeah, we'll see how it works out. Because I mean, it could like always also like move too soon from your headphones to your speaker, like before you're even fully inside. So it'll yeah, they'll they'll, they'll have to kind of smooth that out to see how all well that works. But I'm excited for new new Sonos gadgets. You know, the Move is a really good speaker that I enjoy a lot, and so it's fun to see them kind of just branching out more. Dieter, why do you want to have music stream to like? your headphones and to some speakers in your house. Well, or speakers. I want to be able to switch it from the speakers to my headphones. Or I want to be able to, like, I don't know, have the headphone, like, ask the digital assistant or something to have it go there. In Spotify, it when you, you can tap your targets, and, like, having the headphones be there via Sonos is interesting. It just it feels more integrated than having headphones that are connected to your phone via one system and then your house speakers that are connected to your music ecosystem via an entirely other system they should just all talk to each other yeah i mean the, the reason that's crazy is that it would imply that the headphones need enough processing power to go and fetch an audio stream from the cloud themselves yeah why not <laughs> sure <laughs> now the headphones have fans like that's soon the headphones will have ray tracing like let's do it let's get out there chris there's a bunch of tvs well not a bunch but I mean, you know, I'm a sucker for TV stuff. New projectors, new Hue stuff. What's going on there? Yeah, Samsung has a new uh, short throw 4K projector for all of us who are turning our uh, garages into um, home movie theaters and whatnot. This is coming later on this year. There's no price. It's probably going to be very expensive because it's part of their lifestyle lineup with uh, the serif and the frame and all, all that stuff. But Isn't the frame relatively inexpensive? Uh, the frame's inexpensive, but... <laughs> <laughs> like, you can buy an LG OLED for like half the cost of what a frame costs. No, the, you can get a 65-inch frame for $1,500. Yeah, the frame is pretty cheap, but it's still kind of pricey for like LCD standards, I think. That's true. Uh, but yeah. this thing is definitely going to be up there. I mean, they say it's a luxury product, so when Samsung says something is a luxury product, they uh, tend not to mess around. I'm surprised there hasn't been more... I mean, the, I think the first really great short throw projector we saw was from Sony and CS like years ago. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised that hasn't matured out more, right? Like, this is a product that... Right now, it's like you can have a gigantic screen in your living room and it won't take up your actual wall. Seems like a very, it's a, it's just a promising thing to market right now. It just hasn't seemed to hit. Yeah, for sure. I think LG announced one not too long ago that has uh, pretty close specs to this one. So yeah, for me, it's uh, like I, I just, I don't, I don't think it's going to have the lumens that I need for for my living room. I, I very much want to switch to a projector. I'm like super tired. Like I have, a, I have a big TV. It's a Vizio. I hate it because the software is terrible. Uh, I love that it's big. I would happily ditch it for a projector uh, if I felt like I'd be able to watch it in the afternoon. Like, I'm ready. Well, this is the world's first HDR10 Plus projector, so you will be able to watch approximately nothing on it in HDR. <laughs> and then, Chris, we got to talk about these ECU lights. I, I mean, they're so silly. Yeah, uh, they've had these before, I think, but now they can show uh, more than one color. So, you, so Philips, he just announced a new uh, light strip that goes on the back of, of your HDTV, and it'll match uh, the colors that are on screen and put those on your wall. So you need the, the strip, which starts at around $230, I think. And then you also need uh, the $230 HDMI switch sync box. So all told, you're going to spend over $400 to have pretty lights behind your TV. But I just bought new LG C10, so... I wouldn't mind giving this a shot. You bought a C10? Bought a C10, and it doesn't get very bright. So I'm, I'm starting to learn that OLED, that is indeed uh, the downside of OLED. Are but, these uh, just really fancy bias lights? Because, like, you can get these for, like, 15 bucks. Yes. I'm sure there are cheaper options, but, you know, it's part of the Hue ecosystem, and it'll, um, just, <laughs> it'll just work once you spend all the money on all the, all the bits. Well, I just yeah. love that it's like you, the last step before plugging the HDMI cable into your TV is plugging it into this box so that your lights can flash in the correct colors. Yeah. Like, that's pretty good. I'll take it. But also, you got to pick what HDMI gets the pretty lights. Do you pick the Xbox? Do you pick the cable box? What HDMI goes oh, into the pretty box? And then you can't use your built-in your built-in apps. 
do you buy an HDMI switcher to go in front of the HDMI box and then like you're living in that world? Yes. Mm. Yeah. Do you buy a combo? That's, that's obviously the, no, don't yeah. buy a combo. Um, <laughs> it's good. It's just, it's just, it, it's definitely an Android computer that lives under your TV. <laughs> Sounds like it's, a problem for the YouTubers to figure out because the only people I've, people I've ever seen with these lights upon their TVs are uh, YouTube <laughs> content uh, creators. Uh, no, I got to say the amount of gamer lights proliferating across the Verge staff is very high. Like streamer mm -hmm. lights. Like when I did a podcast with Bijan earlier this week, I was like, dude, you have streamer lights. He's like, I'm on Twitch. <laughs> McKenna has streamer <laughs> lights. Like it's all over the place. All right, Dieter, tell me about this flipping phone. You reviewed a flipping phone. Yeah, talking about this story. So it's a, the Zenfone 7 Pro. John Porter reviewed it. And, you know, the cameras, they flip. So you don't have a selfie camera. The, the good cameras on the back flip around. Only they're not that they're not that good. <laughs> they're just like, <laughs> they're okay. Um, which, you know, what do you what do you really expect? Asus has never, like, been known for amazing cameras on its phones. It's just you want them to be, you want it to step up just a little bit uh, because, they moved it up a price tier, right? Like they've added the 90 hertz display. There's still a huge battery on it. Um, and so it, it went from like the phone, like, oh, wow, this thing is great last year to this year being like, yep, you, you did it again. Uh, <laughs> and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with doing it again. Uh, I just wish that the camera stuff were just a little bit better. I, yeah, that's it. That's all I want. Just like improve the camera just a little bit. And then this thing, I'd be super, super into it. Uh, you do lose IP ratings because it's got moving parts. But really, who's going Who's going anywhere near water right now anyway? Let's just uh, Quite a few people. <laughs> okay, I mean, the promise here is that you get to use a real camera for selfie, right? I mean, that's the whole, right. whole yeah. game. Is it better yeah. than the iPhone selfie camera? That I don't know. Uh, I mean, yes, in terms of just like basic quality of the sensor, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like image tuning, I think I've got a little bit more faith in Apple than I do in Asus. So, you, I mean, you look at John sample photos and you kind of see what I mean. It's like, oh, yeah, you're not quite there. Um, App Apple compensates better for its tiny sensor than this thing can pull off with its big sensor. Yeah. All right. And then, so Haim, and then you are very excited about this smart clock. This is like gadget grab bag out of IFA. There's a, there's a smart clock. Tell me about it. Yeah. It's a clock. It doesn't do anything else. It doesn't have a camera. It doesn't have a screen. It shows you the time. It shows you the weather. You can set an alarm and it can play music and like do basic Google Assistant stuff. Like, So it's not like the smart clock that's actually a Google sent a display where you can see photos of your loved ones. It's literally just like it's got like the classic like LED 8. Eight. Yep, like old school LED numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I just need the time and I don't need the time on like a hard to read background because my loved ones are there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love my family and friends, but sometimes I just need to know like... I can't see the weather because of this dumb baby. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's you know what's interesting is that the, the Google's ecosystem is technically more open than Amazon. So you, you can buy a bunch of weird Alexa stuff. You can buy a bunch of weird Google stuff, but like Amazon has more form factors for Alexa. I mean, Amazon has one of these. Yeah. But the, the little, the spot, the little round yeah, one, the little echo with the clock on it, which is also a great idea. And just like, it's just funny that Google needed to go like third blessed third party approach to let's add a clock to the echo dot or uh, to the, the nest mini. I have that old Lenovo smart clock with the screen. Yeah. And it makes it, it's sitting on my desk at the office, which I will just Aww. never, never see again. <laughs> it's just been showing photos of Max to no one this whole time. <laughs> it's very depressing. And then Dieter, tell me about, tell me about this uh, arcade stick. Okay. So 8-Bit Do, 8-Bit Do, 8-Bit, 8-Bit Do, whatever. They're the company that makes a bunch of different like retro Bluetooth game controllers. Um, and you should start looking at them because you're about we're about to get xCloud, Game Pass Ultimate, whatever, for Android. Stadia still exists. And so I've been looking a lot more at game controllers. And so, of course, they popped up on my radar. They're making an Xbox controller. So they made this uh, classic arcade controller uh, that's completely programmable. You can go in and do all sorts of wacky stuff to it. And it has the aesthetic of the, uh, the arcade controller for the original NES. Um, just with a million more buttons. And I kind of want one because playing games with like like those huge buttons and like being able to like really move the joystick around is super fun. Um, and it's super programmable. It's 90 bucks, so it's not cheap as far as these things go. But uh, if, if you want to like build your own little, you know, arcade system, 
uh, you know, you could just go get this thing, trust that the buttons are good, and then you can really start messing around with it. Um, take it apart, rewire it. It looks like it's a blast. I just had a deep flashback to getting the NAS advantage and just being the happiest. The oh, it's called the advantage. Child. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The NES advantage. It was like a sensation. Yeah. And then they had the other one called the NES Max that had the weird circle that was the wrong choice. Mm. Like the advantage is a cultural touchstone, and the NES Max is a is something that only I remember. Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't believe it exi- ever existed. It didn't work. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's take a break, and then we're gonna let Dieter Dieter just have emotions about folding phones. <sighs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Dieter, you're, you're in the midst. I'm amidst. In the middle. These are some of the weirdest embargoes we've ever dealt with. Yeah. So there's no embargo at all on the Z Fold 2. I could tell you as much as you want to hear about with the Z Fold 2, although I'm trying to write the review, so the more I tell you, the like less I feel like I've said original things in the review. But the, the duo is still under the I can talk about the hardware but not the software embargo. But I can talk about the software in theory because I know from looking at it from when we had a hands-on a year ago. Yeah. Let's 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 wait for the review. I mean, both these reviews are they're incoming, so we'll have that moment. But okay, you've now like the Z Z Fold Two. What these names? No, just just think of it as that. Just just pretend that it's French. <laughs> I'm just the Samsung marketing department. The Samsung Galaxy Z Fold Two. It's horrible. Which which fold is that one? Oh, it's Z Fold Two. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> All right. So you've now, so that's like you know the second iteration. They've had time to polish it up, and then you've had this other one, uh, the duo. Where are you at? Is are these the future? Because like we talked about a flipping phone. There's that LG Wing phone. We're mm-hmm. obviously in a moment of phone hardware rethink. Yeah, potentially, or it could all just the it could all fail. Yeah. So. Uh, man, there's so many things we could say here. I am going to say that it's not the future until something costs less than a thousand bucks. That's how I like ended the the video I just made, the, looking at the the three versions of this hardware that are that have momentum right now. This just this just costs too much. Uh, and until it comes down, and then when it comes down in price, more people will have them, and then we'll start to understand what people actually want instead of, you know, super nerdy early adopters like me. So that's number one. Uh, Number two, and I think this is, I'm going to have a lot more to say about this because I am obsessed with UI. The way that these companies are approaching turning Android into something that works on a folding screen or a bigger screen or on two screens, they all have different approaches and they're not all the same and they all feel like they're just layers on top of Android instead of Android. Android has the rep of being bad on tablets and that's still true. And it's true at like a deep level, not just that the apps don't size the way you want. Like say you want to multitask, you go to the thing where you can look at the little cards that you can choose, right? On the iPad, when you go to that view, what you see are like, oh, I've got Twitter and Slack together here and I've got Office and a web browser Safari here and I've got like, you know, this other game full screen, your splits are all like put together. Android doesn't understand that 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 world is possible. It it doesn't believe that anything exists other than a phone. And so like when you go to multitasking view, you've got to like figure out a way to take that floating window card thing and fit it to your world of split screens or dual screens or floating screens or whatever the hell. And everyone's got a different solution for that. Which one is the best so far? 
Yeah, no, none of them are good. <laughs> They're all bad. <laughs> is this like a Google to solve it at the platform level problem, or is it a Google's going to let everybody experiment and then cherry pick the best one and make that the default solution? Uh, either one would be fine with me, honestly. Pick one. I don't care. Pick one. But well, one implies like a season of chaos. Yeah. Well, we're already we're in the season of chaos. It's just that the only people that experience the chaos are people that are willing to spend thirteen to two thousand dollars on a device. So it's like <laughs> fine. Um, I am experiencing the chaos, and I am like I'm like pre nervous about it for everybody else. If these things ever end up costing less than a thousand bucks, you remember like I bought the very first itty bitty MacBook, and yeah. I had this USB C thing, and I was like, you guys. Pay attention. This is this is a problem. These dongles are going to be a problem. And everyone's like, "Ah, Dieter, you're just an early adopter. What are you talking about?" Uh, and then I, I I was right. Yeah, that's how I feel about uh, interfaces for fancy, <laughs> weird new form factors on top of Android. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I, it's weird that Google seemed like it was getting ahead of it with the folding stuff. Yeah, no, they were they were like before the the fold was even announced, the original one. Google's like, you know. Form factors are changing, and we're ready for it. It's like, are you? Yeah. Okay. And they kind of were, but now they're like, it's like, it's getting away from them. So what is Samsung actually, not to get too deep into it, but just briefly, what have they been able to actually refine about the, the so Fold 2? So if you remember, Samsung has a system where you pull, you slide in this dock from the right-hand side, from the edge, and then you can drag icons out to the left or the right, and then there's a split pane, and then you tap little dots in the split pane, and you can move stuff around, and then you can bring in a third one. What they've done is they've made that all feel just a little bit more fluid, um, which sounds like whatever, but it actually is hugely important because if you lose your window state, you got to recreate it again and you want it to be fast and easy. Um, and you can also now save app pairs in that dock so you can quickly get back some setup that you had before. Um, so it feels almost a little bit like the iPad when you bring its dock up and then you drag an app icon out to do something with. It's just theirs is on the right and a completely separate subsystem relative to like the standard Android dock and home screen. And this has to make more sense when you're looking at it. <laughs> it makes more sense when you're looking at it. Like you, you, you drag the dock out, dock out, you drag the icon out, and there's like drop zones. So left, right, okay. or center, and then you let it go and like a thing happens. Um, but like here, the, there's left, right. And then there's like, then you can split into three if you want. And then there's a center one that makes the app a pop-up window that then turns into a bubble if you want to minimize it. And you None can also this... choose to have that pop-up window be semi-translucent if you please, want. Please, please stop. Like, Samsung I, I is need... not afraid to give you options. <laughs> I need this to come to an end. Like all of that <laughs> sounds great. Like if the Android app ecosystem was like, quickly updating for the latest features of a thing. Oh, and it also sounds great if like, if I said the word bubble and I know what that means, if you don't, if you're not intimately familiar with the history of bubbles and how like <laughs> Facebook started chat heads and then Google like started to do it on Android and then took it away and is going to put it back again, and the relationship between Google's idea of bubbles and Samsung's idea of bubbles and Facebook's idea of bubbles, like if none of that makes sense to you, what I just said, then this is going to be like a pain. Like the, it requires way too much knowledge of like the history of Android UX to understand what's going on on the Fold 2. But if you do, it's great. <laughs> It's just so funny because one obvious answer to this is just like Windows. Like this problem is deeply solved on other large screen, multiple screen computers. Yeah, Surface well, Neo. It's a <laughs> 7.6 inch screen. So like, do you really want Windows on it? If you do, Neil, you could just do it. You could just like drag stuff into that center and pop out Windows. <laughs> of course yeah. you can. What was I thinking? <laughs> it's just funny. Like the Duo is like a dual screen computer and they're trying to reinvent Right, but it doesn't just have Windows from the company that makes Windows. Yeah, well, Are you like asking Android for, is, yeah. for some kind of phone that runs Windows, Neil. I no, like a, like a Windows, <laughs> like a Windows phone. <laughs> All right, I've, I've I've come full circle. No, it's, I think about this with the iPad too. What is the one thing I want my iPad Pro to do? To just have window overlapping Windows yeah. that I can switch like, between. At what size do you want the windows? What size screen? Because I will tell you, uh, just having windows on this 7.6-inch screen, which is like the size of an iPad mini, basically, would be a nightmare. It's like, the fingers and the shave your finger down like Steve Jobs make the joke, and it would suck. Uh, but at like the 11-inch iPad, I'm like, yeah, actually, windows would be great. Uh, but, but, you could, but also has a trackpad. So like... Isn't that just an ARM Mac that, that runs iPad apps and windows <laughs> with a trackpad? 
Yeah. That is you can, you can really see being. how Craig Federighi got there. He's <laughs> <laughs> like at the whiteboard, he's doing the flow chart. He's like, yeah, well, that's just that. Circle that. He's like, just make me one of those. Uh, speaking of Apple, we should wrap up on some Apple rumors. It's Mark Gurman. He says orders for the next iPhones are placing high, high orders. 75 to 80 million 5G iPhones this year is what Gurman says Apple's ordering. That's basically where they are, maybe slightly above the last couple of years. Discressive. We'll see. That's a big bet on people wanting 5G phones. And, you know, we started off by saying maybe this is a year to just not buy a new phone. Yeah. Well, I will tell you that, like, I ask, I, I always ask the question, why are you pushing 5G? Is it because the carriers are forcing you to? Like, that's like every time I do a product briefing, somebody, I ask that. And the answer is always, no, no. When we do, like, market research, like, number one is screen size, number two is battery life, number three is 5G. Yeah. I mean, which is we'll weird. We'll Stop see, I mean, wanting 5G, everybody. Sounds like there's just a ton of stuff coming uh, this fall. I mean, uh, they're saying four new iPhones, two Apple Watches, uh, there's new iPad Air that has the same bezels as the Pro, and uh, uh, those long-rumored Apple headphones are still supposed to come this year as well. So You know, it's funny. Apple bought Beats, and yes, we know they bought them for the streaming side of it, but then they turn that on Apple Music, and like really nothing of Beats persists. Right. Like remember Beats had the, like the personalization bubbles, like all of that is yeah. gone. I don't know like what they really bought. It's still like unclear what value Jimmy Iovine is not wandering around Apple campus being like, I'm Jimmy. Like he's, that's not happening. Dr. Dre, as far as I can tell, no longer works at Apple. And then they had the headphone business, which is a huge business and they've just slowly crushed it. Yeah. They, they crushed it with AirPods and they're, they're going to do their own sort of AirPods over ear headphones. And then, what remains of beats is like just an open question. They still make the neck buds. Yeah. For now. The neck buds and the power beats pro are great. The power beats pro are super good. Is beats just a low end Apple headphone line, right? <laughs> it's like just a weird place for that brand to have landed. Like they invented the premium. I mean, they're not priced low end is the thing. Like these are still two, $300 headphones. I think it's, it's just the, the lifestyle Apple line. It's, you know, if you want the sporty, you want the sporty headphones or the, or the, cool headphones then you get beats and if you want the nerdy headphones with noise canceling you get airpods i don't think airpods are that nerdy i i'm, I'm trying to go with you but anyway it's just interesting <laughs> to see where apple has just decided that beats is not where its ambitions lie you know like they're gonna make their own and then there's a rumor of a, a smaller cheaper home pod which <laughs> i think is great I just like they're committed. They're going to they're gonna try it again. <laughs> Does it have a clock built in? Because I'm on board. <laughs> it, like it needs a clock. They need desperately to make the HomePod work better with the TV. Yeah. Right? Like make make it so that that's an always on voice assistant that does TV stuff. Or there's like a connection between the TV and your HomePod to play audio. Like many opportunities await them with the HomePod. Little baby HomePod surrounds. Little baby HomePod surrounds would be great. A HomePod soundbar. Like, I mean... They, I don't know. They, Sonos, I, but make it Apple. I mean, every other company is doing that, right? Like Amazon is just straight up doing that stuff. We, we talk a lot about uh, regulation from Congress on this podcast. And all I want at this point, forget antitrust, forget breaking them up, forget privacy regulation. All I want is to have a freaking law that says that the rooms in the Sonos system, the Google system, the Amazon system, and the <laughs> Apple system, and the Google system all have to be the same. Like, they all have to interoperate their rooms. The end. That's all I want. Pass that law. Dieter's law. <laughs> but everyone will call it Dieter's law. No one will understand what it means. I'll think it's about food. Yeah. I mean, so just a flood of Apple stuff. Should we talk about the fact that there's going to be four iPhones, and like one of them is going to be small, apparently, like 5.4 inches, and that one is going to be huge? I'm very excited for the small iPod, iPhone. I'm mad that they're making the smaller Pro one bigger. Like the 5.8 was good, and now it's a 6.1. But like, this is the smallest iPhone since 2016. I don't know. The Pixel 4a has kind of shown me that I have moved on from small phones. It's fun and it's cute and it's a good phone, but it's just it's tiny. And I have large hands, and so I think I'm firmly going for the giant iPhone 12 whenever it's available. So. Uh, oh yeah, I'm definitely getting the biggest one. <laughs> I just I'm like this thing is my computer half of the time. Right? Like, might as well just have the biggest screen. Bigger screen means Windows. If it had Windows, it would be incredible. Well, well no, that's the thing. If that's 6.7 inches, you should be expecting something more than just blown up apps, phone apps. You should be expecting tablet interfaces, right? 
I mean, they've been trying that. They've been trying that for years. Like ever since they first did the six plus, like, you know, the six plus had, you know, a sidebar and, and, you know, you turned it sideways and it's just never gone anywhere. Should you expect split screen on a 6.7 inch device? I mean, why not? It can do picture in picture already. That's, that's coming <laughs> to all of them. I mean, I could do split screen on my Galaxy S20. I just do it. My yeah. S10. Yeah. I don't think I, until they have the confidence to say what they want to do with iOS on the iPad screen, which they do not. Yeah. I don't think they should monkey with the iPhone. Maybe it's time to stop complaining about Android tablet apps and start complaining about um, uh, tablet apps on the iPhone. That's a that's a reasonable thing to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the next generation of Virtual Virtual Cast twenty twenty one. These <laughs> iPad sized apps on the iPhone are bad. Um, Where's my Instagram app? That's all I've wanted for ten years. Uh, yeah. The iPad has a weather widget now, but not a not a weather app. Yeah, it's good to see the small size is now just like part of the lineup and not like an SE every two or three years kind of thing. So now it's like firmly part of the lineup. And so I, moving forward, I guess next year there'll be another small iPhone every year from now on. So that's good to see for people who do tend to prefer. So I, I think the question I have about the screen sizes here is where we, this conversation has sort of assumed the bezel sizes will stay the same, but I think it's reasonable to think the bezel sizes will yet shrink and these yeah. screen size increases are actually the same sort of form factor size, which would be, I mean, that is how, how much has Apple told us that that's always what they wanted is like, you just hold like a sheet of glass. Um, the real question is whether they can do anything about the notch. And there's been, as far as I can tell, zero notch related rumors. Yeah. Even though Apple did for a minute have like under, and we've seen one now, uh, camera under the, the screen, some sensors under the screen. That's the real dream. I wonder if they like, Will Apple be willing to do an in-screen fingerprint sensor at some point and just have both? Because uh, I will tell you, I think I've said this before, wearing a mask, the the phone that annoys me the least is a phone with a fingerprint sensor. Yeah, and that's funny because all of Face ID was about just making you set it up so you didn't have to worry about a code to make it easier. And now it's like, oh, I type in that code 5,000 times a day. Yep. All right. Well, I think obviously what's most important here is the small home pod. So that's the ticket. Dedicated small home pod event. That would be the best. Do you remember Apple when Steve Jobs held an entire event for the iPod Hi-Fi? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that was like the height. He was like, everybody get together. I made a boom box. The, I- <laughs> the iPod Hi-Fi was an underrated classic. I, am- I have a friend who still uses his Hi-Fi. I would still use one if someone hadn't stole it in college. Woof. I'm sorry. That's terrible. Yeah, someone yeah. stole an iPod Hi-Fi in my Zune collection, so they really they really made off they really made off like a bandit. Wow. I just I just like picture the look on this guy's face when he got to like the pawn shop or whatever and was like, look at all this stuff I had. <laughs> Not getting many bites on Craigslist for this stuff. What's going on? I would buy that Zune collection right now. Dude, hi, you can buy an iPod Hi-Fi for $135 on eBay right now. Ooh, that is bad. That is bad information for me to have. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to end this so I can start shopping. Uh, that was Vergecast. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. We you can tweet at everybody. Uh, Dieter's at Backlon. Heim is at C Gartenberg. Chris is at Chris Welch. I'm at Reckless. We love hearing from you. If it continues, there's going to be tons more uh, gadget coverage on the site. So check that out. We have a save a flood of reviews coming. And there's all the all the rest of our coverage around all the other things happening. Um, I'm being told that we have a new podcast survey. Uh, so please take it, go to voxmedia.com slash pod survey. We're just trying to craft our shows. We're thinking about some new shows, some expansions. So your feedback is just invaluable. So go to voxmedia.com slash pod survey. Please take that. You can read Dieter's newsletter called processor at the verge.com slash newsletter. Casey has the interface. It's the verge.com slash interface. I'm pretty excited about this. Our Tuesday episode next week, the interview show, Mark Lavoie. Yeah. Ex-Google Pixel camera engineer jumped to Adobe to make, quote, a universal camera app. We're going to ask him what on earth that means. Uh, so that's coming up on Tuesday. Very excited about that. Other than that, we'll see you next week. It's Virtcast. Rock and roll. Wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs>